0: Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following message is from our lead pastor, Jared Brooks. I sat in my office this week and was just broken uh, watching some of these videos and, and praying that God would reignite my passion for lost, you know, for, for people who are hurting. Amen? You guys got real sober on me here. Y'all got real quiet. What a powerful worship time. Amen? Thank you. Let's give a, the band a big hand clap of praise. Wow. Man, that was awesome. Awesome. Welcome to the exchange. Glad you're here. Some of you are throwing me off because you flop sides and stuff. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach right today. But if you would, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to start in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along in the book of Luke, you can. Uh, Otherwise, we'll have it on the Sky Bible for you. Uh, We're going to be talking about... uh, The title of my message for today is Three Men, One Neighbor. Okay? So we'll kind of get into that a little bit and talking about what it is to be a neighbor. But in Luke chapter number 10, starting with verse number 25, it says, On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. They were always testing Jesus. Have you noticed that? All throughout the Bible, they caught the woman in the act of adultery, and they're testing Jesus. Now, Moses says we should do this. Now, what do you say? Because they're trying to trap him, okay? So they're testing Jesus in this. and, And a teacher, he asked, what must I do... To inherit eternal life. Now this is a teacher of the law. This is a Pharisee. This is somebody who knows the the law. This is somebody who follows the letter of the law to the T. And so he's asking this question. How do I inherit eternal life? Kind of a loaded question. Jesus said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly. See, when I read that, I want to oh, you answered correctly. You know, right? When you see that, don't you want to say it with an accent? Nobody, just me? Oh, correctly. Okay. You answered correctly. He says, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Great question. Who is my neighbor? Okay. He's already trying to trap Jesus. He's already kind of messing with him. And he gets into this question, and Jesus says, Yeah, you answered it right. If, if that's, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, Oh, okay, okay. So who is my neighbor exactly? That's the question he, he leaves there with Jesus. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would just come alive inside of us. I pray that uh, your anointing will be upon me, Lord, as I, I deliver this message, Lord, that you've laid on our hearts, that, that our church will be moved and changed with compassion for our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Now, D.L. Moody... Uh, I love reading some of his books and, and stories on D.L. Moody. He's such a powerful man of God. But he tells a story. He was preaching one night, the dead of winter in Chicago. And it happened to be the winter right after the Chicago fire. He had been studying on grace and never actually really preached on grace. But had just really been learning this whole grace thing. So he stands up one night and he preaches. He preaches grace like he's never Preached before. And at the end of the sermon, he tells everybody, he says, You know what? If you want to learn more about grace, I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna share all about grace. And I will talk to you as we close out service. So if you want to stay at the close of service, talk more about grace, stay with me. He prays, dismisses, and everybody leaves. The whole place clears out. And he's kind of discouraged. He tells a story and he says, Everybody left, and I was so full of grace, and I was shocked nobody wanted to stay. So he grabs his hat and his coat, and he starts to head out of the building. And on his way out, he hears in the back of the room a guy crying. And the guy stands up, and he says, I want to hear about the grace of God. And D.L. Moody says, well, then you're the one that I want. So he sits down, and the guy says, I heard your sermon, and you said it was free. I want you, I want you to tell me more about it. They got to talking, and D.L. Moody found out that this man had drank away $20,000 he lost his home. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. Everything he had was gone, and he was just at the very bottom. And DL Moody spoke to him and began to just love on him and teach him. And in just a few minutes, they're down on their knees and they're praying together. And he goes on. He tells the story that that night he went and he got him lodging. He paid for his his room at a hotel. He goes over the next morning, picks him up, gets him breakfast, helps him get back on his feet. And when D.L. Moody, he goes across uh, into Europe to do some evangelistic crusades. He takes this guy with him and he said this guy was the best worker he's ever had in any of of his crusades. The guy found grace. He understood grace. He caught grace. He was uh, uh, the uh, picture of what grace really was. And that's one of the stories that Dio Moody says, that that God's word saved him. And that was grace manifested in this man's life. You can't understand the call of the cross if you don't understand grace. Amen? Okay? If you don't get grace, you don't get the cross. And if you don't get the cross, then you don't get grace. They're one and the same. Grace is one of the hardest things for us to grasp. We've all experienced it in our life, but it's really difficult to understand. It's probably one of the hardest things for churches to express as well, okay? I don't know if I've really understood grace until I had kids. Uh, With Jenica, it was pretty easy, you know. She was uh, adopted when she was a baby um, from Haiti, and so she was just always even keel. She was easy. Then... I had kids that have my blood, okay? <laughs> They're not so easy. I think it's Shelly's fault, honestly. I think it's Shelly's blood running deep inside of them. I don't know, because Jenica's fine. But uh, <laughs> but my kids, I'm telling you, they, they experience grace. Um, and, and their grace came, comes in the voice of Shelly a lot because I'm fixing it. Shelly's always like, "Okay, calm down, y'all better stop. Daddy's going to come up here. Y'all better stop." So my kids get grace. They don't know the word yet, and they don't know exactly what it means, but they understand grace because they experience it. And you know what? I experience it as a parent. You know why? Because my my kids. There are many days they deserve justice. <laughs> y'all act like y'all like. Okay? Your kids deserve justice sometimes. Yeah. Have y'all ever had them ride on the walls or something like that? Or like messing the floor or on their bed? Right? They deserve justice. But grace is that, that you love them so much that you let things go by. You use it. You teach them a lesson and hope that they get it. And they don't. <laughs> and then grace kicks back in and it repeats itself. But that's when I've experienced the most grace. It's easier to judge than extend grace outside of our kids. And the world knows it. There was uh, the Barana organization. They interviewed thousands and thousands of people, 18 to 35 years old, across America. And they asked them this question. What is the church? The top two answers. Judgmental, hypocritical. Okay. That's the top two answers, just 18 to 35 years old across America. When you're asked, what is the church? Judgmental, hypocritical. Jesus experienced the same kind of thing. He's walking with his disciples. They're going through Samaria. And you know what his disciples said? They said, hey, you should call down fire from heaven and destroy these people. Right? That's what the disciples, that's what God's chosen, the spiritual uh, with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. They said, you should do that. You know why? They saw the Samaritans as half-breeds, okay? They weren't worthy. They intermarried with the Gentiles. Jews don't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles are already warped and messed up. Now the Samaritans, they go and they start getting married with some of the Gentiles. And so a lot of Jews saw them as low-class, low-life, undeserving of God's grace. Just like the whole race of the Gentiles. And so Jesus, he, a lot of people, they walk straight through Samaria to get to where they're going. Jesus goes into Samaria and he starts ministering and he starts teaching in Samaria. If that wasn't enough, he starts teaching a parable that would change the disciples' attitude and judgments. uh, Because they thought that God hated Samaria. Hated the Samaritans. So Jesus teaches them. He takes them through this process of grace. And in our scripture today that we just read. Jesus is challenged by one of the Pharisees with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Pharisees were passionately committed to honor God with their lives. Okay. Okay. Despite popular belief, and I, lo- I know a lot of times in churches, I know when I was a little kid, I grew up, when you hear the, the word Pharisee or Sadducee, I never saw anything positive inside of those two words, because I always thought Pharisees and Sadducees were the bad guys, all right? Um, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Anybody ever sing that song when y'all were kids? Because Pharisee ain't fair, you see? No? Sadducee? Okay. <laughs> Maybe I made that song up. It's possible. It's possible. But in children's church, I sang that song when I was a kid. But the the Pharisees, they followed the letter of the law. But unfortunately, in their zeal to honor God, they gradually evolved into an insider-outsider theology. In other words, they and everyone that was like them, that followed the law, God loved them. Everything that was not like them... Everyone who didn't believe like them and did not follow the law like them, God hated them. He hated everyone. They were all considered sinners. The Pharisees even believed that that included everybody with birth defects, chronic diseases, physical abnormalities. The Pharisees believed that this was proof that these people had sin in their life and that is punishment from God. Okay? Okay? And so if you weren't like the Pharisees and believed like the Pharisees, then God hated you. That's even tough to say when you're preaching, that God hated you. But this is, this is the way they believed. Sinners also included those who had scorned occupations like shepherds, tax collectors, prostitutes, even a whole race of people known as the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Okay, so I'm, I'm building up where I'm going here, so just hang with me. All of these people uh, who were excluded from God's love and care, compassion and mercy, because they didn't observe Judaism, okay? So Jesus, he goes into Luke chapter 5 through 8, and he goes to the unwanted, the, uh, the... unfavored the low life of the low life people and he begins to teach the kingdom he starts teaching kingdom principles and he starts inviting these people into the kingdom he starts inviting the gentiles he opens the door and allows the gentiles to come in and be a part of the kingdom he starts inviting the samaritans to come in and be a part of the kingdom and this is blowing the mind of the, the Pharisees. It's blowing the mind of the disciples because they didn't understand how this would work. Jesus starts showing overwhelming compassion and mercy towards these people. So this dialogue starts. The Pharisee asks, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a parable. Okay? Now, the common view in Jesus' day was your neighbor was your fellow Jew who precisely kept the law And there was a long list of people God hated, and that wasn't your neighbor, like the Gentiles and the Samaritans. So in Jewish eyes, your neighbor is people like you. So in response, Jesus teaches a parable uh, about the limits of God's grace and that you can't live by the cross unless you live by grace. So Jesus starts to explain this parable, okay? So you got to think. And in their mind, they're thinking, who is my neighbor? They ask the question, it's a loaded question, who is my neighbor? And they're expecting Jesus to say, well, all look around you. If he was here today, the Pharisee, in their mind, they're expecting Jesus to say, look around you. It's all the people who came into the exchange this morning to worship one true God. And if you go down the road just a little bit to, to Lake Houston Nazareth Church, those are your neighbors. They love God with all their... And if you go down this road to the Baptist Church, those people, those are considered your neighbors, okay? This is what the Pharisees are thinking that's about to happen. So if we continue reading this story in verse number 30... It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite came, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The experts of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is telling a story about a man who's walking home from Jerusalem... So it's about 2,700 feet above sea level. And he's walking down to Jericho, which is the lowest city. And it's about 1,000 feet below sea level. And it's a 17-mile trek. So we're talking about 4,000 4, feet of descension to this city as he goes. And it's one that considered one of the most dangerous stretches of road ever because it's known for its bandits and its thieves so it's a dangerous road anyway a long stretch road but it's a tough road to travel so this man is beaten he's stripped of his clothes he's left left for dead in a culture that instinctively thinks in terms of categories of people the listeners that Jesus is talking to probably started thinking that same way they probably started thinking to themselves wanting to ask the question so was he a Jew or was he a Gentile? Was he a Roman or a Samaritan? Was he like us or not? I mean, that's important, Jesus. You can't start telling us this question about a guy who's, who's robbed and a priest ignores him and a Levite ignores him and then some Samaritan helps him. He must have been a Samaritan then. There's no way a priest would, right? So they start asking this question to themselves. So the story takes on its first twist when Jesus, he says, the first man who passed by is a priest. So for just the fun of it today, we're going to call the priest Mr. Selfish, okay? That's what I've named the priest today. Uh, We don't know his real name, but uh, he's going to be known today as Mr. Selfish. He happens to be going down the same road. He sees the man, and the Bible says he passed by on the other side. He went to the other side of the road. Now, if you study this passage and you read all the commentaries about it, it will tell you that most priests that pass by this road have just completed a two-week ministry assignment uh, in the temple, and now they're returning home after the, after the Sabbath day. Tradition says that a large number of priests lived in Jericho, and they would travel outside of the sea to the temple and do their ministry. This was, uh, they also considered priests to be pretty well off because the temple was a cash cow. Mm, Right? It was. was. Um, So the listeners have to assume the priest was probably not walking, but he's riding a donkey. Okay? So check this out. The wounded man could have been dead. And the law says that if a priest touched him or even passed by closer than six feet, he would become ceremonially unclean. And then he would have to return to Jerusalem for a week-long process of ceremonial purification. Okay, so maybe that's what happened. The priest looks, thinks he's dead, passes by on the other side because he knows I can't get over there. He's gonna make me unclean. Then I have to go back to Jericho for a whole week of ceremonial cleansing, okay? Another commentator suggests that he's probably not off the hook that easily as Jews were required to bury a neglected corpse and that that did not ritually defile them. Okay. It could be, so I better stay away. But, I'm required to bury him. And it doesn't defile. Okay, so now the priest is a little bit confused. As he's walking, he's thinking all this as he's walking. And I'm just pretending here. But I'm giving you some options. Another law says that if, a, if the man was alive... Obeying purity laws cannot be the reason for failing to save a life. Okay? So was the man dead or alive? So the priest is walking down the road. Some people believe he's riding a donkey and he's passing by. Maybe these things are going through his his mind. Maybe they're not. Nevertheless, he decides that none of it is worth taking a chance on becoming unclean. So, regardless of what happens, he just stays away, goes to the other side of the road, and he passes by. So, we're going to call him Mr. Selfish. Now, a second guy comes into the picture, a Levite, okay? Now, just for the sake of name-calling, I'm going to call him Mr. Curious, okay? Levites functioned as assistants to the priest, and they were considered a lower class than the priest's. So he might have been traveling a little ways back behind the priest in deference to him and his position. The Levite probably knew that the priest was ahead of him because it was a long, long stretches of road, and so he probably knew the priest was right ahead of him. So when he comes to the injured man, he can tell that the priest probably already passed this man, saw the man, and made a decision not to help him. So it kind of made his decision easy, right? The Bible says that he looked upon the man that was stripped and robbed. So he was curious. He looked at him and then he kept on going. Have you ever know? Have you, y'all watch Facebook videos ever? Man, I get caught up on those dumb videos. I get caught and then you watch the video that you're wanting to watch and then just another video pops up immediately. I find myself like 10 videos into it and I'm like, what am I doing? Is it dumb? Some of these, some of them are actually pretty good, but some of them are dumb. But have you ever seen the videos where like something bad's happening, like a fight or something, and there's all these spectators watching? Have you ever seen the ones where they all pull out their camera, and they just start videoing it? That drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. You see somebody like getting beat down, and everybody's videoing. Nobody's doing anything. I can't stand that. That's like one of my pet peeves. It's hard for me to not get involved in a situation like that we have a a Facebook for our neighborhood this was kind of funny but a few weeks ago uh, Amanda probably remembers this she she kind of runs that Facebook I think Um, but this lady posted that there were two men beside her house trying to break in and rob her neighbor's house so she's posting about it she starts telling us about it And she's telling about these two men. And in her post, she says, so I'm just telling you, you need to lock up and you need to be safe out there. Those men are still here. (laughs) She gets on Facebook to tell us about it. So people start getting on Facebook and they start saying, "Uh, maybe you should call the police and get off Facebook and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, well, I just called the police and the men ran because I shined a light or something. And I'm like, seriously? She did what... Most people would do get on Facebook, tell us about it. So blah 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 Talk 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 talk. Curious curious people. Everybody wants to get into everybody's business, but nobody wants to do anything. Right right? Some of you are afraid to say, right, because you're probably videoing, right? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You wouldn't do that. But I'm just saying, that's, that's the kind of guy that I think about when I see the Levite. He was curious. He wanted to see what was going on. He looked, but then he made the same decision. Maybe the priest made it easy for him. Since the priest already passed by, maybe the priest set a precedent for him, okay? And so the Levite, it was easy. It was easy on his conscience. And besides, what if the Levite would have stopped, helped the guy, rode into town with the guy on his donkey. Then he would have made the priest look bad. You can't upscale the priest. That's rude. And so the Levite, he just, he's got an easy decision. So the Bible says that he too passes by on the other side of the road without helping this man. So Jesus is telling the story, and you got to imagine, the Pharisees are listening, the disciples are listening, he told about a priest, he told about a Levite, and so the Pharisees are probably thinking, he's going to now tell about a Pharisee, a man of the law, who probably did something, or maybe he's going to tell about a Jew, an upstanding citizen. Instead, Jesus goes and he tells them about a half-breed, tells them about a mutt, Okay? And that's, this is how they viewed them. This is how they viewed them. They were low life. They weren't worth anything. And, and God for sure didn't love these people. That's why the disciples said, let's call fire down from heaven. Just burn them all up. So he tells them about a Samaritan that we're going to call today Mr. Kine. Okay? The Samaritan comes into the picture. We don't know a lot about this Samaritan other than uh, he has his own donkey. He probably was going into Jerusalem to trade or sell goods. That was pretty common in the day. But even as a Samaritan, he would have had the same understanding of a neighbor as the priest and Levite. That, that uh, the, your neighbor is someone like you. That someone who believes like you. Someone who has common ground with you. Okay. Even if that was the case, the Samaritan sees this man. He doesn't know if he's like him. The man's stripped naked. He's beaten, he's unrecognizable, and he can't talk. So maybe he's a Samaritan, maybe he's a Jew, maybe he's a Gentile. Who knows what he is? The Samaritan didn't ask the question, well, excuse me, sir, what are you? I need to know what you are first before. But the Samaritan immediately is moved with compassion and he goes in and he starts to minister. He starts to bless this man. He applies first aid. He applies oil, which which makes the skin and wound pliable. Then he pours wine to disinfect it and he binds up the wounds and he stretches cloths over it and wraps and maybe tears his own clothes and, and doctoring this man's wounds. But the Bible uses the word bound in this passage. And it's a powerful image because uh, for jews because it evokes god's acts to rescue and restoration hosea chapter 6 says he just talking about god will bind up all of our wounds he will revive us he will raise us up i desire mercy not sacrifice that's what hosea says jesus implied that he's teaching the samaritans that this is what God did for us. What the Samaritan is doing for this person in need is exactly what God has done for us. And Jesus has been teaching the kingdom and he's opened the door. All of a sudden Gentiles are being brought in and welcomed into the kingdom. The, the disciples and the Jews are learning that the grace of God, the mercy of God extends beyond the Jewish people. But it also goes to the Gentiles and to the Samaritans. And so this whole door is being opened. And and they're starting to get that. And so when it uses that word bound, it's talking about binding us up and bringing us out and restoring us. And he uses the same word for the Samaritan who binds up the wounds of this, this man who was robbed. He takes him. He puts him on his donkey. Okay? So he gave up his ride. And put this man who was beaten down on the donkey. And he continues this trek. Who knows how far it was. But that's pretty unselfish. It's pretty thoughtful. Pretty kind to give up your ride. He takes him. And if you study this passage here. He takes him to a hotel. Now this is where, where this is at is considered hostile territory. Okay. This was a lot of the trade markets and, and people coming and going. So this is, would be considered like the hood. Okay, this is the ghetto part. This is not a safe place to be. And the Bible says he goes in and he pays for a night. He also spends the night there. Okay, Samaritans probably weren't really welcomed in that area. So he puts his own life at risk. He spends the night there. He wakes up the next day. He goes to the innkeeper and he says, look, here's here's payment for a whole month. I'm going to pay for his room for a whole month. Whatever you need, doctor his wounds, whatever he needs to to start the recuperation process, just do it. When I get back any money that you're out, I'll pay you back. He goes above and beyond to meet this guy's needs. Isn't that powerful? By this time, Jesus' audience, the Pharisees, they're flabbergasted beyond belief when Jesus asks these questions. He says, now who do you think out of these three was a neighbor? To this man. Who do you think was a neighbor to this man? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it this low life Samaritan that you see as, as not worthy? There are four things that we learn in this parable that about grace. And, and I want to hit these things right now. The first thing is grace includes the excluded. Okay, grace is unmerited love. And if you want to understand God, you have to understand his love. The Bible teaches us that God is, come on, God is, God is love. And if you want to understand God, you have to understand love. And I know you guys hear this, you hear it from me all the time. And so we have to understand what love is and what true love and to see love in its purest is to see God and what we have to learn is that God's love and grace is ridiculously inclusive okay ridiculously inclusive that's tough for the church because even in planting this church and I know I've told you guys the story but in planting this church there were people I specifically didn't go to and invite to be on our softball team because I didn't see them fitting in this church Okay, I didn't see them on the first or second row. I didn't see them worshiping God. And so as I meet people and I talk to people, I look for people that I think would come to church and fit in. And then, lo and behold, I found out the people that I didn't include are who God intended on being here first. And so... Grace includes the excluded. Okay, It includes those who reject Him, those who don't follow His ways. In fact, there's no one that God's grace doesn't include. Think about that. So God's grace is extended to all the people outside of this room that don't believe like you believe, who don't think the way you think, who don't love the way you love, who could care less. That's who God's grace is extended to. The worst of the worst. In Jesus' day, there was the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the Samaritans. And the fact is that none of us deserve God's grace because all of us are broken and flawed. And Paul, he says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So nobody actually deserves it. We've all messed up. But there's no room for judgmental attitudes in the church because grace includes the excluded. The second thing is grace is unconditional love. In our scripture today, we talked about all 613 laws are narrowed down into two two common laws, okay? And there's one common denominator in these laws, love, okay? He says, So tell me, how do you read it? How do you read the law? Well, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the common denominator in these two laws. So you have to understand that love is unconditional. The grace is unconditional. The grace of love is unconditional. Okay? Uh, There's there's nothing you can do, nothing you can uh, say, nothing you can become... To gain more love from God. There's nothing you can do to make God take his love away. He just loves you. He loves people. And, and everyone outside of this building that are driving up and down 1960. And some that are laying under a bridge on 59. Some that are in another church. Some that are waking up hungover. Some that are, that are fighting with their families right now. Let me tell you something. God's love is extended to all of them. And it's Unconditional. And he doesn't say, well, I would have loved you a little bit more had you not done that last night. But I'm disappointed. I would have loved you a little bit more. In fact, everyone that's here this morning, inside of the exchange, God loves you just a little bit more than everybody else. Because you sacrificed your day to be here. That's not true. You didn't even have to show up today. And he still loved you. I probably wouldn't, but he does. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I would, I would. But God's love is unconditional. Grace is unconditional love. The third one, grace is love in action. So which of these was the neighbor to the injured man? The Pharisees replied, the one who has mercy on him. And Jesus says, what? Go. Everybody say go. He says go and do likewise. Okay? Go and do likewise. See, grace is love in action. You have to do something. You can't just say you have grace. You have to prove it. You can't have it till you prove it. Hashtag that. Okay? If you want to hashtag something, you can't have grace till you prove it. You can't just say I have grace. You have to prove it. So grace is love in action. Excuse me, hi. How are you? Um, I'm Habib. Nice name, by the way. Chuck. Chuck? Oh, nice name, Chuck. Did you eat anything today? A little (laughs) bit. Not really, I mm-hmm. haven't eaten anything. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. You know, I got this bag of chips I man. I mean, people can <laughs> eat food all day long, so. Uh, this bag of chips? Yeah. You don't mind? No, not at all. Really? Yeah, Uh, you oh, sure? What you, yeah, yeah, What are you going to eat? Somebody will give me something. <laughs> I don't want to bother you anymore. I'll, no, just, I'll, okay. I'll just take a... No, I mean, listen, I don't... People. I have nobody. You have no family? Nothing, so I'm here all alone by myself. It's hard to You can hang out and talk to me if you want. In fact, I'll, I'll even do this yeah, I'll just hang out for a little bit. Just, you just sit be- down and talk to me for a little bit. You're gonna pay me to talk to you? Yeah, I'm all alone. As those people pass me, i that let it your family? Uh, I was raised in Foster, okay? Sure. I'll show you a picture. My nephew. This is my nephew right here. Let's <laughs> That's good. That's
1: good. Do you remember anything about your
0: family? Uh, I jumped around a lot. Just from families to families? You never saw your real parents? Wow. I mean, I know about them. You know, know about them? They don't want to contact you? Why not? Why did they give up? you rather have people talk to you than give you money? You can put your contact information if you want to. You know it's not a lot. I want you to take care. Chuck, right? Yeah. Habib. Yeah, they call me Habibi. Okay. You know what that means? It's like not like a Habibi store or something? <laughs> that break your heart? You know what breaks my heart is to think about while we're in here today, there's just hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people who have nobody, who really have nobody. And and sometimes, I'm not saying that this is us, but sometimes we come to church and we want to complain that it's too hot or too cold or it was too loud or nobody talked to me or I sat there for... 10 minutes and, and we just build up all these things and there's people who are lost and hurting and dying and lonely and they just want somebody to love them. They just want somebody to care and, and grace is love in action, okay? He says, so who's a neighbor? Who's a neighbor? Which of these three do you think is a neighbor to this guy? And the teachers of the law, the lawyer says, It's the third one, the one that showed him mercy and that doctored him up and took him and took care of him. So Jesus' reply is, go. Do the same thing. The whole conversation started with, how do I have eternal life? How do I have eternal life? He says, okay, you have eternal life. Love God and love people. That's how you have eternal life. And then the lawyer still wants to get in his business. He says, okay, so Who actually is my neighbor? And he's being a smart aleck here. And Jesus puts it all on him. He says, listen, I'm telling you a story here. And if you want to be this kind of person, if you want eternal life, then go and be a neighbor. Go do likewise. Love somebody. Find somebody who's in need. And maybe it's not uh, a financial need. Maybe it's just a friend. Just a hug. The fourth thing is that grace transforms lives. Author Anne Lamont wrote, uh, she wrote a book called Traveling Mercies. And in this, she makes a statement. She says, I don't understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and does not leave us where it found us. God loves us too much to leave us where he found us. That's a part of the journey of a relationship with God is he'll find you anywhere okay, he'll find you in any condition, in any situation, and he loves you, period, and he accepts you into the family, and he brings you in, but when he brings you in, he doesn't just leave you to be the same old, same old, lost, lonely, hurting person, he brings you in, and he wants to change, he wants to grow you, and that's part of having a relationship with Christ, God transforms lives, touches people, And then we're to reproduce that and extend it back out. We're blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey, and this is an awesome book. I read this years ago. He tells a story uh, of Ernest Ernest Hemingway. And he says, Hemingway grew up in a very devout Christian family, yet there were never experienced uh, the grace of Christ in his home. He lived a wild and sinful life, but since there was no father, no parent waiting for him, he sank into the mire of graceless depression. A short story he wrote perhaps reveals the grace that he hoped for. It's a story of a Spanish father who decided to reconcile with his son who had run away to Madrid. The father, in a moment of remorse, takes out an ad in the town's newspaper, and he says, Paco. Meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, all is forgiven. When the father arrives in the square at the hotel in hopes of meeting his son, he found 800 Pacos waiting to be reunited with their father. It's the father's forgiveness that we all yearn for. It's that relationship, the reconciliation to the Father that's really deep down that we all desire. And so, it, so grace is available to all, but the lawyer asks the question, he says, Who's my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question, but instead he reflects on the larger question. To whom must I become a neighbor? So that's the question that I want to leave with you today. To whom must I become a neighbor? So the question is not, who is my neighbor? It's who can I become that to? Who can I become that for? Who is it that needs something that I have? I've been given mercy. I've been given grace. I've been blessed, and I'm blessed to be a blessing. So who can I love this morning? Who can I lift up this morning? Who can I pray for this morning? Who can I give a hug to this morning? Who can I shake hands with this morning? Some people, like this guy in the video, they just wanted somebody to talk to them. They just wanted somebody to love them just for a moment. Doesn't that break your heart? That there's people that that's all they want? And so my question is, in your world, to whom can you become a neighbor? What does that mean to you? And, and how can you implement that? You know, we go, we'll go to the Astros game and you drive by and getting back as you're going kind of underneath 59 and you see the just village of homeless people. And, and I don't know how. You can drive by that and not be moved, you know? Uh, I kind of, I didn't grow up this way. Nobody told me this, but I, it was always kind of implied, I guess, that, that homeless people, all they want is money so they can go buy alcohol. And I've heard people say to me a lot of times that, well, I, the reason I don't give them money is because I don't know what they're going to do with it. And my reply to that is I don't care. I don't care what they do with it. I don't care what they go by because that's, that's between them and, and God. That's not between me and them. My thought is that if I could just be a blessing, if I can love somebody, if I can just in a moment's time turn somebody's heart, doesn't that count? Doesn't that make a difference? If, if somebody in a moment can see that and go, you know, who knows what they just prayed. God, if, if you're really out there, if you're really out there, we just send somebody. We just send somebody. So I challenge you today to think about that, and I'm going to ask um, the band if they'll come back for a moment. But I want you to think for a second. Wh- wherever you live, whatever your world looks like, you know, y'all, have, you've heard me tell those stories a little bit when we started the church. How I reached out to families around, but there's one family that I didn't reach out to because. I didn't think that they would fit in, and he confronted me one day and asked why I didn't invite him to play on my softball team, and I thought, oh, man, and in my mind, I'm like, well, because you're a partier, you, uh, <laughs> you have a, a pretty dirty mouth, <laughs> and um, you stay up all night uh, playing lots of loud music, and you won't fit in my church. That's what I wanted to say. But in a moment caught, I went, uh, uh, you want to play my softball team? <laughs> and now he's one of my closest friends. And he comes to church here. And I just think about these moments. And now I've asked myself why I've, I've pushed away from that, you know? Why my story of reaching out to someone who I could love is two years old. Why is that story now two years old? That's getting old. It's kind of an old story. So it's not that I need another story so that I can share, but it's I'm asking myself the question, have I become comfortable and I've kind of stopped caring? I've stopped trying. You know, there was a point that I was desperate to meet people and desperate to love people and desperate to shake somebody's hand and desperate to hug somebody's neck. Have I lost that? Have I lost desperation? So I've asked myself that question this week. I've never cried more preparing a message than I did this week. And and you can hear this and you may not be moved at all. I mean, no big deal because sometimes the message is just for me. And I'm okay with that. If we walk out of here this morning and, and... and nobody gets anything. I, I've been changed this week because I've reevaluated who I am. Why did we start this church in the first place? What was our motivation? What was our mission? Who do, who are we trying to reach? Who are we trying to love? Did we reach that? Did, do we feel satisfied now? And now we're complacent. And so now let's just have church. Because I'm not. But I have been i spent the last year and a half really satisfied. So I've asked myself this week what I have to do. What do I have to do to go love somebody? And, and I'm going out this week. At some point I'm going out maybe on the weekend, I don't know. And Shelly and I, we're going to go and we're going to meet some people. And I'm not taking, I'm not going and taking a boatload of hamburgers or whatever. I've done that. And that that becomes scary in itself because sometimes you just get mauled. But I'm going to just become friends. I want to make some more friends. I don't have enough friends. I want more friends. And so I'm just challenging you to think for a moment in your world. The question started with, how do I get eternal life? And then it ends up with, so who actually is my neighbor? And Jesus says, go and do the same thing. You go and you find somebody who's in need. You find somebody. You find the orphan, and the widow. That's what the Bible teaches us. then then I think we'll see a difference and so in my prayer this week it was all about me it was how how God do I get back to this so in your world will you just close your eyes for just a moment I'm not going to ask you to stand or do anything crazy but I just I just want you to close your eyes and think reflect for a moment in your world Who can you become a neighbor to? Who is it that needs you? That needs love? And it may be an actual physical neighbor. Someone who lives by you, next to you, across from you, above you, below you. Who is it that that God is, is calling you to reach out to and love and become a friend to? Who is it that God's calling you to become a father figure to? Who is it that God's calling you to step up and stand in the gap and meet a need? Father, I ask Jesus right now, God, that that in this time as we reflect, as we think and and, and check ourselves, God. I pray that you reveal to us in some some manner, some form, fashion, God, how we can love the unloved, God, how we can look beyond um, their their situation and and see who you see, Jesus. I I know that we all have different circumstances and we all have different jobs and different lives and our our, our lives are taking us down all different kinds of roads but each one of us in our road there's there's somebody that you put in our road that we have an opportunity to minister to there's somebody who's been robbed who's been beaten who's been beaten down by life who's lost everything who's been sick who's been left alone God and, and you've put them in our path and we cross them probably all the time and, and probably we, we pass on the other side of the road often because maybe we don't know what to say. Maybe we don't know what to do. But God, I pray right now that you birth inside of us a passion for, for people. God, it's, it's not about can we get them in our church. It's not about do we, can we just get them to say a, a prayer and, and get them to say that Jesus Christ is Lord and then leave. But it's about becoming a friend to the friendless. It's about clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and visiting those in prison. You said it in your word, God. What you do to the least of these, you're doing it to me. So, Father, what, what opportunities do we have? Help us to be more aware, God. More aware of the road that we're we're traveling down and the people that we come across that there's no coincidences in the kingdom of God that we're passing by people on purpose. We're passing by people on purpose. So God, as we we walk out of this place in, in just a few moments, I pray that, that we'll just see through through a, a brand new set of eyes. Everyone, the waiter, the waitress at the restaurant, the, the person bagging our groceries, checking us out, the person standing on the corner asking for money. God, that everybody that we'll see different and will look for an opportunity to be you to be your hand extended that when they look into our eyes they'll see a love that is so piercing that they'll see a a grace and a mercy that's so strong that it'll give us an opportunity God to, to teach people the kingdom of God and that it's all inclusive we praise you for this God we praise you for this Jesus amen 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 you know I don't know what this looks like and and I've thought about it and, but if you if you want to join me if you want to do something uh, I don't know what that looks like yet but if anybody wants to do something with me and go with, with Shelly and I uh, put it on our, our Facebook page our group Facebook page if you're not on our group page, we have a public page, and then we have a private page, and you just let me know, and I can get you connected, Uh, friend me, but that whole grace is love in action thing gets me. We just can't talk and preach grace anymore. The power of the cross is so powerful that we've got to do something about it we've got to make sure that it doesn't stay inside these four walls. Amen. Amen. Wow. We give God a hand clap this morning. Amen. We're going to get ready and we're going to close out service. Thank you for listening to the exchange church podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for The Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to The Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.